0: Everyone, welcome to this week's Invisible Not Broken. I have an amazing episode for you. I know I say that um, every once in a while, but this one just really rocked my world, and it hit close to home, and I hope it hits close to home for you as well. Uh, I got to talk with an amazing author, Jenny Eden Burke, and she wrote a book called The Body Image Blueprint. And wow, did we, um, we had so much to talk about um, from growing up in the 90s, where the Kate Moss heroin shake body was the ideal for almost all genders. <laughs> and um, uh, growing up a ballerina with eating disorder issues, uh, this was such a fantastic chat. Um, and like I said, it, it it hit really close to the bone. And talking about body dysmorphia and the focus that this country puts on all genders for looking a very specific and certain way, and how damaging that can be. And um, that was that was a really great chat. We also went over Jenny's um, Hashimoto's and alopecia. Ariada. I am so sorry. You all who listen to me know how bad I am at pronouncing. But if you head over to the show notes, I have everything linked up, including a quick way to get the body image blueprint um, to read and also a link to Jenny's coaching. Um, It is her mission in life to help people get to a place where they like themselves, their bodies as they are, the radical, insane idea that we are Good enough. We are fine. It's all good. It's okay. We don't need to spend billions of dollars to a dieting industry. All right, I'm gonna get off my soapbox before you turn me off. I promise. Um, This is an awesome episode to share. Please feel free to share this with like high school teachers who are teaching health class. Feel free to share this with parents of teens and preteens and kids. This is a really cool episode to just kind of get your feet wet into our chronic illness world. But also, um, it's a really good episode. Even aside from the the chronic illness world, just to like take a minute and think about body image and what the oversexualization and hyper focus has done to all of us who are who are um, maybe not the exact embodiment of the American ideal of of, uh, body types. I'm going to stop rambling. I promise. So sorry, everyone. I am in so much pain today and I'm trying to, uh, get all my show notes done. Um, thank you so much. Please share this episode. I think it's one of the the best ones to share. Hi, I'm Jenny Eden-Burke and I am a certified
1: eating psychology coach, a body image mentor, author of the best-selling book, the body image blueprint, and also a motivational speaker.
2: I am so excited because there's so much we need to unpack here. <laughs> like, I want to talk to you about body image so badly. I, I, it's um, it's something that I have been dealing with most of my life. I was anorexic for years, bulimic for years. And then you also have Hashimoto's and alopecia. And I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that last one properly. We have so much to talk about and we are hmm. on a time limit. So I'm going to hope we can get through most of it. Uh, do you want to start with the body issues and how you got interested in this? Because I really want to pitch your business. This is an amazing book, and I really want to, to talk about that. Make sure we don't get out of time for that one. How did you get interested in this?
1: Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here with you. And um, I, it's I feel like it's been a work in progress my whole life. You know, like many women, I I struggled at a very young age with understanding my beauty and understanding my worth and you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties where, um, there was a huge groundswell of dieting culture that's emerged. And, um, I was always trying to find my, my place within that culture because it was almost like an indoctrination, right? Like you had to kind of go through it. And for people who like rebelled against it, you were sort of not as accepted. Like you kind of had to bully your body and over-exercise and all of these things. And, my mom was a, is a chef and coming home from school, like she made these fantastic after school snacks and food was like very much the vernacular of our home. There was a lot of love. It was always food and really good food. I expanded like a really good palate from a very young age, but I was the only one in my family who was bigger than the, than everybody else. So I was, I always felt like, sort of like, huh, okay. I notice, I I mean, and children don't inherently think, bigger or smaller is good or bad right it's only within the context of context of the larger society so when I started to go to school and I saw I was like a little bit chubbier than everybody else like I started to realize oh okay this is I am different and I and it's not for the good so I need to do everything I can to become to be in a smaller body so that I can be loved and desired and admired and all the things that every person in life wants really and it wasn't until, like, I ended up, my whole career was weight loss. I ended up helping people for 13 years, like, losing weight. And finally, I just kind of got really, really sick of it. And I was, I had, I started to feel like there had to be something better than this, like, than the pursuit of a smaller body. There had to be some inherent, like sense of beauty and self-worth from inside. And I wanted to tap into it, not only for myself, because I was so exhausted from chronic dieting, so exhausted from over-exercising, that I ended up getting my certificate in eating psychology. And I was like, whoa, okay, I, now we understand the root cause of all of this. And it's my job to help other women feel as best that they can in their skin and to... like even if you're not in love with your body, to feel comfortable in your skin and accept your, who you are, what your visceral, like soulful, you know, interior worth is all about. And when that is intact, it it becomes expressed on the outside. And that's what work is now.
2: (laughs) I, I, I can't even begin to even start to unpack, but I'm going to try because, wow, um, everything that I've ever wanted to hear from someone about body, when someone says, like, I'm a body coach, it's like, huh, you're going to try to help me lose weight, aren't you? I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, like, and so hearing about that it's acceptance is beautiful. Do you think that, um, is we, I think we grew up around the same time of the Kate Moss uh, <laughs> militia of um, Heroin Chic, I think it was called. Oh, I mean, yes. That's what we should aspire to. Absolutely fantastic um it seems like when you're talking about the social aspect of it it almost seemed to me like when i was growing up that weight loss was a woman's way to be able to connect with other women the way sports are a way for men to connect with other men it was a way to express emotion to instantly bond to be like oh this diet this diet this diet it was almost like it wasn't even about the body necessarily anymore it's almost a way to connect was about the mutual hatred of something (laughs) and that was so disturbing, especially like um, growing up in the 80s and 90s when 17 magazine, and I'm gonna call them out specifically, <laughs> that they used to have in the back their models, they'd have the pictures with their height and weight. Mm. And, uh, first off, lying is must lying lying liars. No one is five foot ten and hundred and thirty pounds and still looks like that like maybe some do and I'm sorry if you are like that I'm so sorry but it just it, I was 117 pounds and five foot one and I'm like the math isn't working for me and that was me being like not eating at all like for most of high school I was a ballerina it was um cigarettes and black coffee and vomiting that was the, <laughs> that was the skill set
1: yeah, I mean I've heard that a lot with ballerinas in particular like it did you see the movie Black Swan?
2: Yes, so many
1: oh, times. Oh, no. uh, like <laughs> that wow. was really powerful for me, but you really brought up some good points which is like it becomes a bonding and a thing it like becomes like almost like rushing a sorority. Like, hey, let's <laughs> do party. Hey, let's do this together. We'll do it together, you know. And and then there's inherent competitiveness that comes. There's inherent like um, sense of like failure and success, which is so unfounded. It's so arbitrary because, really, what is the success? What weight? What size? Like, what it really de- is deemed the success there, and u- ultimately, it ends up having people see like the Seventeen magazine, like seeing those numbers. Ultimately, you, we can't escape from compare comparing ourselves to that, and when we realize, like you did, and recognize that there's no way that we can actually achieve that subjective ideal. Then we're left with this sense of total desperation and worry. And we will go to extreme measures to get what we need or what we feel like we need. And that does include vomiting. It includes laxatives. It includes over-exercising. It includes fasting. It includes juice cleanses, or surgery, whatever it takes. And that's why I'm trying to dismantle from the Ground up because no woman should have, ever have to go through that to feel that they can be loved, have success, be desired, have uh, accolades and admiration. And yet, this is what so many of us go through.
2: And you brought up such an interesting point with Black Swan, and I just want to hit on that real quick because yeah. it was something that, like, and I'm trying to be more open and honest about this stuff myself. I, I generally, lo- I know it's shocking, but I generally tell a lot of information to keep from saying the stuff that's really important. So I'm going to say the stuff that's really important right now, which is that in Black Swan, they really hit home the idea of the sexuality, of the innocence, of the very slender body, of the very um, staying innocent but corruptible. And I think that's a huge issue in our society. And I know for me, when I grew up, I experienced a lot of abuse and issues when I was young. So when I was cruelly 10 years old and started to get boobs, like, that was awful. All of my friends who did not experience those things and were still, like, super bright little 10-year-olds were were like little reeds, they were little willow of the wisps and here I was getting boobs and hips and um, oh, the, uh, the, that just really ended up making um, me a target, which mm-hmm. part of like the losing weight and the desperateness to be so skinny was that I would be less of a target for grown men shouting at a 11, 12-year-old or, you know, so I think that there's also an aspect of that for female weight loss of there's a safety if you don't have visible secondary sexual characteristics
1: Absolutely. And that also shows up in, in another way too. So people who have trauma or have been abused sexually, emotionally, physically will sometimes gain tremendous amounts of weight purposely, yes. consciously to protect themselves from any attention whatsoever, because they don't want to be sexualized. They don't want the attention. They don't want the spotlight. So in the same way that you took it to this other way, because if you don't have <laughs> yeah. Friends, and you don't see those, that the way that we're sexualized uh, physically manifested on our bodies, then we feel protected. Right. Um, and also like we've been taught as women and girls that we shouldn't take up so much space. Right. So like, how dare you take up so much space? Like how dare you like the audacity of <laughs> who <laughs> you think you are. Yeah. And like, so sometimes people, you know, go the other direction, just as like a big F you to the culture. Like you're going to tell me I can't take up space. Look how much space I can take up, you know? So it can go either direction, I feel like, but a lot of it, the root is, well, dieting culture, but also trauma and, and abuse plays a big role in that too. Yeah. And I have this theory actually, because, and I've been thinking about it more. I have uh, two daughters, one daughter who's gone through puberty, one who's like in the middle of it. And my, my feeling is, that body image as an adult is very much tied to our relationship with how we dealt with puberty because puberty is a huge huge change and adjustment in our bodies like and a lot of a lot of people are very uncomfortable with it there's a lot of shame if you live in a household where it's not openly talked about that it's normal and that you know you're someone sort of shepherding shepherding you and guiding you through it i feel like there can be a lot of shame and a lot of worry that stays imprinted on us as adults by the way that we dealt with our puberty. Do you know what I mean?
2: Oh, so. <laughs> So much. I have been forcing myself to have very open conversations with, uh, because my daughter is just um, starting all of this. And I am just like, no, we're talking about it all. We were talking about periods. We were talking about blood and all of it. And so I actually sat down, yeah, poor baby. I sat down and explained everything to her because I was having horrible cramps. I'm like, well, this is a good time to explain this. <laughs> And she, poor little thing. I, I swear, am I allowed to swear if you're if you're sharing this podcast? Do I get to, oh, thank fucking God. <laughs> okay. um, I was being so good. I hope all of my listeners know how good I was being because I know you do a lot of like public stuff. i like, if you want to use this, maybe I shouldn't swear. No, I'm going to swear now. Great. Um, the poor thing just looked at me with like what I think most women feel, which is, are you fucking kidding me for every stage of of growing up female. So you get like nine to 10 years of like, everything's fine. Everything's like, like, like my brother, like, like all the other go- people, I, I can do this. And then I'm sorry, I'm going to bleed every month. And then I'm going to be throwing up and I'm going to have emotional swings and I'm going to feel like my uterus is being removed and I'm still supposed to just smile and play and be like everyone else. And I'm sorry, getting boobs hurts. And then it's the whole like pregnancy thing where no one t- really tells you any of that because no one would have a baby. And then like menopause, I'm like, okay, fuck this. I'm done, no more. I shouldn't have any more to deal with than any man out there. This is not okay. <laughs>
1: it's true women disproportionately have way more changes that affect our emotional well-being our physical well-being our sense of beauty our sense of selves you know our physical
2: so- appearance our yeah, way, our, yeah yes. and it affects whether we can get the right medication as well because mm-hmm. we don't study women for medication as a general rule because the um the cycles change how the medication affects so instead of putting the money in and understand that 50% of the people taking this medicine are going to be dealing with these changes they'd rather just test it on men and go huh, let's see what happens yeah it should work right Oh my god. it worked on this <laughs> guy over here you're saying equality so <laughs> like...
1: well look I mean think about how much more male sexuality has been studied than female sexuality
2: <laughs> I will not get on my soapbox on Viagra <laughs> still being like <laughs> on the the role of what can be like the military, the the government will pay for, but um, birth control, That uh, no, okay, I will stay off that soapbox, I promise, because we have too much to get through, and I'm having way too much fun chatting with you, but seriously, what I'm talking about is my poor baby, her eyes got so big, and she's like, what can I do to not do this, like, what, (laughs) what do I do to, like, Around this whole thing, like, how do we circumvent that whole thing? Exactly. She's like, let me body hack this. Like, I'm like she's just going to start listening to Tim Ferris on like four-hour body waking, rolling up, going. So Tim, how do I avoid having a period? <laughs> like Tim, what's the four hour puberty hack? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. Tim Ferriss, I need you on this if you're going to do all of these. Like, talk Mm. to some girls about some body hacks for for some (laughs) hormones. That would be great. I don't need to know how to run a business in four hours a week. I need to know how to, like, not have a period for, like, eight days. Exactly. Tim, can you help me with that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, we're we're calling you out here. Help us. What do you (laughs) do, (laughs) Tim? Oh, this poor guy, if he ever gets a hold of (laughs) us. We'll send it to him. <laughs> I actually will. <laughs> um, so we can go to. Uh, we will talk body issues again. I'm hoping someday we will have a panel about this because I really. I mean, I'm raising a teenager too, and like the shit his friends are going through. I just want to hug all of them from. Like a whole bunch of his friends are trans, and I love these babies so much, and I just want to hug them. And they're dealing with huge body issues, and like puberty issues, I can't even begin to process. And then there's girls who are dieting and who are fainting in class or who are being accused of doing drugs when they're just starving. And like, I want us to talk about these things because I think that so many more parents and so many more teachers need to know what signs there are and not just to see them laziness. So we will do that. I hope so. I really, really hope so. But I want to talk about your Hashimoto's because... Oh, there's so many of my, my podcast listeners out there who have been like, so when are you doing this episode? When are you doing this episode? And you're the first one who's willing to do it with me. So okay. I got you. You got me. <laughs> so, can you explain a little bit about, because I mean, I'm sure it's going to circle back to puberty too. Um, when did you start having symptoms? What were the symptoms? So um, I, I got diagnosed
1: at 15, but I'm, I'm wow those symptoms were there okay I just need
2: to back up for one second how did you get a diagnosis at 15 like every doctor I saw was 15 just said I was crazy (laughs) which not necessarily untrue just mm -hmm. not the first
1: (laughs) I so I had a like I think if it was like just waking and tiredness and being cold or whatever it wouldn't be like they'd probably say the same thing but I had a a goiter I actually had um oh tell right here as a teenager yeah, my mom saw that my throat was like looked really swollen. And like, she she actually had, she does have um, hypothyroidism, and my grandmother had it. So she had it within her purview that like, I could be getting. Uh-huh. It. So I think I credit my mom, too, for being really aware of that lineage and being able to be like, you know what, let's check you out. Like, let's see if you actually have this. And lo and behold, I did. And the funny thing is like, I thought it was a panacea, like, oh, good. Now I can lose all this weight. And like, now I'll take a pill and I'll never be tired again. And I'll lose all this weight and everything. will be amazing. <laughs>
2: I love the naivete. It's so cute.
1: <laughs> it was so cute. I was like, hooray. Little did I know that that's not the case at all. And you know and that it's a lifelong thing where you have to get your blood tested all the time and you have to adjust your medications and then certain medications stop working and then you have to try different ones and you still have to work just as hard if not harder to lose weight and and that became my like albatross like my whole life like especially someone who's a chronic dieter is like well well I'm going to show you I'm not going to let Hashimoto's prevent me from being in a smaller body I will just have to work twice as hard right so that's what I was sort of left with is like okay so this is a struggle for me. All, all it means is that I ha- I can still do it. I just have to work doubly hard. But the thing that was always really, really painful for me was that people assumed, even when I was working my ass off and not eating in like drinking like 50 gallons of water a day and like exercising three hours a day. And I if I wasn't losing weight, like I remember going to Weight Watchers and they were like, Oh, you gained a half a pound. Just try harder next week. And I was like, fuck. You <laughs> have no idea how much time and effort I'm putting into this. And I felt like nobody believed me. I feel like people thought I was eating brownies like in my bed. And like, you know, people thought I was like watching TV and like just on the couch all day. And it's could to be nothing from the truth. And yet I felt this like defensiveness to, to like almost defend my honor. Like, no, you don't get it. I am bullying my body like a dutiful dieting diva. I am.
2: <laughs> oh my God, I love... <laughs> The whole imagery there, but could you just imagine for a minute? The dieting industry, I believe, is it's it's definitely a billion dollar industry. I just can't remember if it was two or six, and my brain mixes up the facts on that one. But billions of dollars is going into the dieting industry, and look how much time and energy you spent and I spent. What the hell could we have done with that time and money? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. If every woman in the world just went, you know what? I think I'm good. And, and, <laughs> I'm good. Like, so there are bumps on the back of my legs. You know, if we're not talking about a major health issue, that's like keeping you from walking or getting outside or, or sitting at a desk. Like if we're not talking about that, like just, I'm talking about the general woman in the world who just went, I'm good. What industries would fall? (laughs) And what can we do with that money and that time and that focus?
1: You know, it's so poignant that you're saying that it's so true. And this is like literally what wakes me up feeling motivated every day, is that I get a chance to change that conversation. I have my own experience of being like, you know what, I'm ditching all of this bullshit. And I'm going to write a freaking book. Okay? Like, that's what I'm going to do at that time. I'm not going to count calories anymore. I'm throwing away the scale. I'm going to eat a freaking brownie and love the heck out of it. And I'm going to spend my time and energy like helping other people and writing a book. There's no way I would have done that had I still been obsessively dieting and in my fitness pal every single hour and like at the gym three hours a day. And like, I would like, my kids would come home. I mean, I would come, my husband would come home from school, from work rather. And I'd be like, okay, I'm out of here. Good luck with dinner. You know, you know, whatever the kids will be fine. And I would just leave and I prioritized weight loss over everything else. And you're absolutely right. Think about how many more women would ascend in the workplace how many people would write books how many people would run for senate how many women would do incredible things and give their gifts to the world in a much deeper way they have deeper relationships if they just stopped if they just said i'm like you said i'm good i don't need to do any of this bullshit anymore you know
2: yeah that doesn't but first off i mean let's just go with the basic facts it doesn't necessarily work And I know people are going to write me letters, and that's okay. Go ahead. Feel free. But I would want you, if you're going to write me letters, to back this up with science and show me anything that works at 50%. If we're going to put billions of dollars, the return on investment should be more than 50%, but I'll give you 50%. If you can find that Weight Watchers works for 50% of people and keeps the weight off for a significant period of time, and I'm talking five to 10 years, if we're putting billions of dollars, that's what I would want to see, is at least five to 10 years and a 50% success rate. And that's being really nice and what return on investment should be. So everyone just do that for me. And then I want you to go over to my website because I'm going to be linking all of your books and your website on this. So if you want to read this book, which is again, The Body Image Friend, uh, go to the website and I'm going to have a link directly to her website where you can buy everything. So do that. Okay. So, no, no, Thank you. I, this is a conversation I've been dying to have. I just, I, I, you have girls. Like, it's like, it was scary enough raising a boy teaching him about bullying and consent. And, but I never really, and I know there are boys out there who have body dysmorphia. I know there's boys who have anorexia. I get that. I, I, I for you gentlemen, so join the feminist movement because we're all about saving you. Um, <laughs> but raising a girl scared me even more. And I know that's not fair, but it did because everything that I knew I was caught up in, I just wanted her to avoid so badly. I'm like, but that spark she has, that magic that will get dimmed by starvation. <laughs> Let's keep that going. Um, I'm so sorry to like off track there. But I want to get back to the Hashimoto's. And so you were dealing with the goiter, with the. Um, did you have the hair loss along with this at that time?
1: So I didn't know it at the time, but it already it had already started. Like that whole process, I had like really, really, really long, thick, like t- tons of hair. And so it took. I didn't start noticing any hair loss until I was 23. Wow. And Yeah. And then I started to see something and I was like, Oh my gosh, what is this? And, you know, a a woman, like, for some reason beauty is often identified through our hair because we see that we see Rapunzel, we see all these like, you know, Cinderella, all these amazing like Queens and they have this amazing hair. And like, it's always, you know, like very concurrent with like sensuality and like, Desire, And you know what I mean? So our hair becomes this like motif for our own desirability. And if you start losing it, I know. And at the time when I started losing it, it wasn't like there were a whole lot of options back then at all. I just had to like suck it up and be like, cover it. And like worry,
2: worry, and worry. And um, I mean, it's just one more thing that you're trying to control. Like it's one more thing you're obsessing on and controlling and worrying about throughout the day. Like the body, the hair, the, yeah
1: everything. And it was, it was really debilitating. Like I, I spent a lot of time trying to find solutions and going to doctors and, you know, it, it was more devastating and more traumatic for me than even the Hashimoto's because I, I had a, oh. and I could, just, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, and it started off as alopecia. Um, what's it called? Androgenic alopecia, which is a hormone, you know, it's male it's female pattern baldness, apparently. And so what that meant was that there was a, it was going to follow a certain kind of pattern where they would it would start to thin in the front, right? And it, believe it or not, I wasn't diagnosed with alopecia areata, which is different, until last year. And that one is an autoimmune disease similar to Hashimoto's is autoimmune. And oftentimes people who have Hashimoto's or have other lupus or other autoimmune disorders can over time Aria- develop ariana. And so I was sort of, I had, I'd never had any symptoms of it. And then I woke up one day, my daughter was like, mom, you have this huge bald spot in the back of your head. And I was like, what? I'm like, no. And I look and it was like the size of like a half dollar on my scalp in the back. And I was like, oh my God, like, what do I do with this? And I started to like see all these doctors and... Um, Luckily, it's grown back. But, you know, there's no telling where the course of it will go. Sometimes it goes into remission. Sometimes if you have a lot of stress, it flares up. Sometimes it shows up, like it started to show up in my eyebrows a little bit. Uh, Yeah, so it's like a whole nother thing to tack on to it. (laughs)
2: You're just trying to collect all of the disorders. You're just, you're just being you're being greedy at this point, right? Yeah, I got the potpourri here, you're, you know, ladies. I know, I know, I'm special. <laughs> and your cheers yeah. for the daughters for calling all of us out on anything that they see wrong. My daughter's like, what's that bump on your face? It's like, yeah. thanks. <laughs> Great. You a huge zit on your nose. Did you notice? I'm like, yeah. mm, yep, I did. Oddly, oddly, yes. Yes, that did come across my mirror this morning. Thank you. <laughs> That's gross. Yeah, I really am I'm so glad I went through all that time and labor with you. That was I, I my mom's like, bed right now.
1: I feel like I got the strangest freaking weird disorder disorders like during and after my pregnancy. I don't know if you experienced this, but like I had um I got I got a, I got a boil on my chin. A boil. Oh. I, it was like this. Nasty
2: okay. Boil. So, anybody who's listening, you does not know what we're talking about. Boils are basically like pimples on steroids. Like they are like they are they are almost tumorous.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was like a cyst, like a huge, like cyst looking thing. It was so painful. And then I got shingles. I freaking got shingles. Okay, because pregnancy is where you're
2: supposed to feel the most beautiful and <laughs> such. Who the fuck says this stuff? I need to meet you all who really enjoy pregnancy. Really? I no, 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 I didn't get the outward symptoms, but I didn't know I had L.R. Stainless when I was pregnant at all through either pregnancy. We just knew I had fibromyalgia. So oh. L.R. Stainless for people with, um, with pregnancy is a whole different universe because it's connective tissue, So as you're getting all the relaxant in your body to relax your joints, well, I don't need help with that. (laughs) So I was just like dislocating. And then the real big problem is, is that you end up with early labor. So I started labor at like five months with both kids because the ligaments to hold the uterus with the baby and gentlemen who are listening to this, if you do not know what uterus is, please go to Google immediately and don't ever have a comment again about women's care. Oh, sorry. Sidebar. Um, but it would hold the uterus up. So the babies were like, even like as small as they were at five months, were like, okay, so I guess I'm done. <laughs> Ready to come to the world. <laughs> so it was like this... Two you had your babies
1: at five months?
2: No, but it's super traumatic to try to keep them inside. Like, it you was... were on bed rest. No, because I'm not good at that. Um, <laughs> so my son actually ended up being born on time, but like a ridiculous three-day labor, 72 mm-hmm. hours. Yay! And then my daughter, um, she, I started serious labor with her at six months where I was like in and out of the hospital nonstop with like IVs full of like steroids to try to get her lungs developed. And we held in there until, um, until just at terms, I think we're at 37 weeks since she was born. Five and a half pounds and orange. Like, she was a little traffic cone. Like It was so cute, but she was super tiny. And the labor was really dramatic. And like, there was all sorts of yelling and screaming around, but yeah, that was fun. Sorry. That's quite the digression, but that's what, that's what LH stainless pregnancies are. So sorry. Anyone who's listening to this who does not have babies who has LH stainless, tell you worth it. Just make sure you get diagnosed in proper care. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, so it's quite the, the sidebar. So with the Hashimoto's, you've got a whole bunch of stuff with pregnancy, I'm guessing, and with postpartum fun, with all the new hormones that are changing...
1: So fun. Mastitis and, you know, oh, I got-
2: no, no, no. do a quick mastitis explanation for any gentlemen out there who are like, seriously, you're just having a baby, whatever you just, you breastfeed. Look, you got the food right there, please.
1: Right. And you feel like it's the most natural thing in the world and it's going to be so beautiful. And like my nipples were bleeding and I had mastitis, which is an infection in your breast essentially. Mm-hmm. and it, it's really painful and you sh- like there's like a ri- a big red blotch on your boob and it's extremely painful and you ha- the only way to f- get relief is to actually nurse on it and you have to take antibiotics and it's like a whole the whole thing and it was awful and i got it every time and um you know i i was very sensitive to um to I guess bacteria in general, like I, I had group B strep and I had to have like an IV um, of antibiotics so to not pass it to the baby. That's something that like some women just naturally have, group B strep. And, um, you know, the, the weirdest thing happened with my last pregnancy where I've never had any allergies to anything significant in my life, except for like, you know, like pollen or whatnot. But after my third baby, I developed... I developed the most random allergies to like, to all fragrances, all chemical fragrances, to antibiotics, to menthol. Like I had to stop using, I use like silly strawberry toothpaste. <laughs> and so, yeah. So like, you know, your body just do, does weird things and you just can't predict what's going to happen when you're, pre- when you're pregnant and breastfeeding.
2: And I know I've been, I've been bagging on the men. I'm so sorry gentlemen. I'm not I'm not trying to bag on you. I'm trying to bag on very specific kinds of gentlemen. And I want to bag on women for a second because there's so many judgy women mm-hmm. who think that they know what's best for every mother out there. And you chose to do this. Some people choose, like, I'm done with breastfeeding. We're going to bottle. Um, that's how that's going to work. So I, this is the whole point of this podcast is to be gentle with each other, to not just rush to a judgment, be kind to people. Don't just be mean. I know I sound mean sometimes. I'm sorry. I'm working on That's why I have as my tagline. So I keep, like, revisiting this, like, be kind. <laughs> you, sound, you sound very authentic and very honest. That's <laughs> That's the great thing about being sick is you don't have the energy to not be honest and to not be authentic. Who knows what you said last week? You don't have the energy to lie. <laughs> like, right. 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 Uh, whatever's going to come out will come out. There's, there's no, my poor children are like, mom, please <laughs> back it up. <laughs> Just deep breath for a second.
1: <laughs> Rounding breaths in through
2: your nose, out through your mouth. <laughs> so um I know you're on time constraints, so I'm trying to be really like mindful for you and I don't want to be because I'm loving this <laughs> but I do want to ask about like what have you found like my favorite question for everyone is stolen from Tim Ferris. so thank you Tim um what under a hundred dollars have you purchased that really has helped you with your disorder is there anything you can think of that was like relieving or helped you function better Well, you know, so there's a couple things.
1: One is vitamin D. I found out that people with Hashimoto's are, um, disproportionately affected by having low vitamin D levels. And so it was, it's a simple fix because I guess, you know, it's a fat soluble vitamin and it actually acts as a hormone, but with people who have underactive thyroids, um, tend to also have very low vitamin D. So like even just supplementing with that has helped with some of the fatigue that I get in the winter in particular. And then, um, really this isn't really under a hundred dollars but it's under a hundred dollars a month which is <laughs> my vegan home kit delivery service that I get which really makes me feel nourished and happy and gives me like a confluence of different um macronutrients and things foods that I really love and give me pleasure and they're easy to make and so for me that's been huge
2: do you want to give a shout out to that company yeah it's called
1: purple carrot um I don't know. I think it's available in most of the US, but I'm not sure exactly.
2: I'll take I'll link it in the show notes. So, if you're interested in vegan healthy lovely living with no going to the grocery store, we will we will put that in the show notes. Hey,
1: okay, awesome. Yeah, it's great. So, those two things have really helped. Um I think that's about it, I guess with respect to the Hashimoto's.
2: Well, then before I let you go, I want to just ask you a quick question because we're in the Mother's Day month. How do you handle Motherhood and chronic illness. Do you have any um, wonderful tips? Because hey, I'm looking for tips.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, and you know what I what I say is um, really lean on people. I, I guess a lot of I, my, a lot of women and myself included tend to feel like not only do we have to do it all, but we have to show everybody else that we can do it all. And I <laughs> I'm kind of sick of it. And I've you know I ask for help. I ask for naps if I need them. My family is understanding about that. And so, you know, making time for self-care has been in whatever way that you define that is really, really critical because it, 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 if you're depending on the illness, you may need that time to either rest or nap or, um, you know, do some other sort of like massage. If you have fibromyalgia, for instance, like I know massage can really help or chiropractic care, um, and other Reiki and acupuncture. So I take the, the time to do that stuff, even if it means that I'm, I have time away from my family. So like if I I go to a yoga class, it's very invigorating for me, makes me feel embodied. It makes me feel healthy and happy. And I will take that time because I'll I'll explain to my kids, like, yes, I'm gone for an hour, but when I get back, I'm actually going to be able to be more present for you and actually spend quality time with you rather than just be thinking the whole time how bad I feel and how I just want to go to sleep. You know what I mean?
2: Absolutely. And like, you're also making such a good point. Because before we were talking about over exercise and spending so much time and energy on weight loss that keeps us from other pursuits or from connection and what you're talking about with yoga is not about moving or doing exercise out of a self-hatred but doing yoga and exercise out of self-love and things that you enjoy so if you don't enjoy running knock it off if you don't like I say you actually enjoy like we're not saying don't move don't exercise we're just saying you don't do it out of hatred like
1: exactly like do like what I would the biggest tip
2: or ever, I'm saying I'm so sorry I put words in your mouth no
1: <laughs> I'm glad you did because those were perfect words like that when I realized that I, that movement could be an act of self-love and that I could move in a way that was gonna be consistent with my own body mechanics, like that was a game changer because I would force myself to run and I would force myself to do things that I hated, I hated. And now I move in a way that I love because I know that I can and it fits, it, it fits into my own body mechanics and where I can tap into my own strength, right? Rather than somebody else's version of an athlete or strength. Um and that's been a real game changer for me too.
2: I saw a great shirt that um had this person running. It says, if you see me running, run with me because something's really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's me right there. Like if I'm running, that is definitely time to start like booking <laughs> because there are zombies or a T-Rex or a like Godzilla behind me. I do not run unless chased. <laughs> Amazing. By saying very scary, like not, no, no two year olds, no five year olds, no. It needs to be saying terrifying. <laughs> it needs to be a zombie, a, a popcorn. Absolutely. <laughs> and by the way, if anyone out there actually enjoys writing, cheers, Mozzle Talk, bless it be. I'm so thrilled for you. There's an awesome app called, um, oh, I'll link it in the show notes. I think it's called Run Zombie and oh, it's yeah. the only thing i've ever enjoyed like on the elliptical and it basically walks you through it walks you through it runs you through a episode like a fake episodes of walking dead and you like you run when you're supposed to run away from the zombies you can hear them breathing down your neck And like this is actually oh entertaining i loved. it. i'll put it in the show notes because i think it's only like eight dollars for like ever or something or unless they move to a subscription base but like if someone actually enjoyed this like running <laughs> this would be great Yeah. It's like,
1: don't worry that you're going to be like having heart palpitations. Like, no worries. (laughs) You're going to be fine.
2: You know, so yeah, well, I have POTS and I have LR Stainless. So basically I'd be the zombie behind everyone, like just taking my femur out and throwing it at someone and falling down from like lack of heart working. my my body's idea of like you're in danger is my heart stops pumping fast it starts it slows down significantly until I feel like I'm going to fall asleep so my body's response to danger is hey sleep through it it'll be good either it'll be dead or you won't notice but hey I got you just sleep down.
1: that's really interesting they also have like zombie 5k's where people they like dress people up as zombies yes you while you're running. <laughs> like, Oh my God. Um, but I wanted to share this like quote before we go that yes, you know, Samantha, uh, not Samantha, uh, Sarah Silverman. That love. Like, I love her too. She has this quote. That's like, um, mother Teresa didn't worry about her thigh gap. She had shit to do. <laughs> ah! Yes. <laughs> Which I love. I'm like, uh, yeah, we all have shit to do. And like, obsessing about our weight and our thigh gap doesn't have to be part of it
2: no and I think your next book you need to get a forward from Sarah Silverman yeah you have a contact. <laughs> I know but I think if we tweet at her enough with this interview we, we might be able to get her interested
1: <laughs> no there you go I love that
2: persistence and care <laughs> okay <laughs> thank you so much for talking with me this is such a fantastic interview I absolutely adore you
1: uh, you know, I
2: was, you're so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I am entertaining, I've been told. <laughs> entertaining with different like emphasis on the word entertaining.
1: Well, you're uh, I love your energy. You just have a fabulous energy and we will get that round table going, the body image round table or something. Send me
2: a message and everyone listening start sending messages that you want this. <laughs> All yeah. right, thank you so much. Have a great day.
0: Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. It means so much to Kiros and I. We are still a baby podcast. We're only six months old. And if you would like to be really, really nice to us, you can share this episode with a friend or someone you wish understood chronic illness or invisible disorders better. And you can also go to iTunes, leave an embarrassingly nice review, and of course, press that subscribe button. Tune in for a new episode next Monday a.m. And until next time, be kind, be gentle. And be a badass.